Hi, Matt McDonough. You know, there are times when you're out there looking for the most perfect podcast for you. And I'm here to let you know that you don't have to look anymore. There's a special podcast network out there called the Tangent Bound Podcast Network. They've got everything you could possibly ever look for in a podcast. Everything. So, if you're looking for something to fill your ear holes, or just something nice to listen to, head on over to tangentboundnetwork.com. Click on the channels link, and go ahead, listen to your heart's content. Here at Tangent Bound Network, we'll leave the mics on for you. Hey, this is professional cool person Kate Bresnahan, and you're listening to Adrian Has Issues. <laughs> and it's funny because I'm like, you know what? I'll have like a quick little something. But then I realized I was going to make like a small rum and coke. And then I look in the freezer like, babe, we didn't get ice, did we? I'm like, oh, boy. <laughs> so there's several drunks somewhere who are falling out like Obi-Wan Kenobi because I pretty much put a little bit of rum, a bunch of coke in what was my coffee mug. It just knocked it back. <laughs> Oh, that is great. This is how you know you possibly hit rock bottom, where you're not even making the drink normally. Like, you just know you need it in your system. (laughs) Oh, God. Please tell me that that coffee mug had, like, some kind of superhero logo on it. Oh, it has Star Wars on it. Even better. Even better. Oh, trust me. When I'm too lazy to actually make a drink out of a glass, my Star Wars mug is, like, my go-to for everything. (laughs) That is awesome. Well, hey guys, welcome to Adrian Has Issues. I'm Adrian, and <laughs> now that um, everybody's basically like calling their AA rep and uh, <laughs> trying to get my name on a list, today's guest is a fellow podcaster and the host of a really awesome podcast, Drunken Dork. If you are not listening to him, well, if my endorsement's worth anything, it's a really great show. And I know for the longest time, and this is going to sound really bad, but I'm just going to flat out say it. I know you were really just itching to do a crossover, and I was too. But my girlfriend, who's also my show's creative director, she handles scheduling because once it gets down to putting dates on things, I flounder. So you were basically like, all right, let's do this crossover. When are you free? Saturday? Awesome. Let's go. And I'm like, Tom, you're the man. You're awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Well, don't let anybody know that, okay? I I have a reputation of incompetence to maintain. <laughs> Thomas, call everybody. Tom, how's it going, man? Hey, I am honored, thrilled, and so damn happy to be here finally. I really am too. And between the two of us, you know, we constantly interact on Twitter and also Facebook, but I think Twitter mm. is my home base. Yeah, same here. Throughout the day, you know, you, you see a lot of notifications from other podcasters. And, you know, sometimes they'll follow, sometimes you'll get random tweets saying, hey, check out my show. And it's cool, but I always am a fan of the shows, or I guess whoever runs the Twitter accounts of shows, of people who really go out of their way to interact. And not that there aren't shows that I like that don't do that, but it's always cool to get somebody that goes to just that extra mile, just be like, hey, 
listen to us not just because we have a podcast but we're also really cool people and one thing i love about drunken dork is you guys are really out there chatting with your listeners and other fellow podcasters so that is really commendable I mean, the best thing about podcasting is, A, it gives me a chance to keep in touch with a lifelong friend that has moved all the way across to the other side of Michigan. Right. Uh, so that right there is number one. Two, I, I love the fact that there is a whole community that sprung up on Twitter with the whole Potter and Family thing. I've had a chance to meet people like you, uh, Afterburn739, uh, Geek Yogurt. All kinds of people that I would never have had a chance to interact with otherwise. And I, I'm very grateful for it more than anything. Yeah, it's a great scene. And when I started this, because I think I started summer 2013, when, same you know, here, yeah. Oh, wait, you guys just, you started around the same time? Yeah, uh, except we were slumming it on uh, archive.org because I had no idea what the hell I was doing. <laughs> Neither did we, like, uh, me and my former co-host, we used to record in his bedroom. We had, oh, I had my laptop and he had his computer and we would actually Skype our conversations even though we're right next to each other. Oh, that is awesome. I did the same <laughs> damn thing with my, my buddy Jake. <laughs> and I just feel so bad because anybody who walked into that room, they probably would have thought we were planning some sort of like attack because there's wires everywhere. There's three <laughs> or four computers. And he used to have like a whiteboard of all these different like things he needed to do. Like it was basically like posters and notepads and sticky notes. And it just looked like we were planning something really nefarious. <laughs> oh, that is amazing. You know, we didn't do the whole whiteboard thing, but I'm having flashbacks to Jake's basement right now. That's amazing. But, you know, your show has amassed a, a pretty awesome following. Well, it's just, it, it's mind-boggling that anybody would want to listen to me and Jake get drunk, argue about comic book movies and television shows, and somehow they find entertainment from it. I mean, it to me, in my mind's eye, it's just me talking into a microphone over uh, Skype with my buddy. Right. But apparently, it's something. I don't. I don't know what it is, but it's something. I guess it's one of those things where I guess so many people, you know, I know at least a few who have come out of their way to, you know, I guess talk about our show or my show rather, where they're like, I like the idea of like your show. It's pretty much like being in a room where two people or multiple people are having a conversation about the things that they're into and the things that they're not into. And that's what I love about your show. It's conversational because nine out of 10 times, I'm with the drink in my hand, you know, talking to my buddies about comic books and movies and such. And your show has the same format. And I always love like that sort of rivalry that starts at the beginning of each episode when you go over what you're drinking. Yes. There's either like a craft beer or like, even like a liquor. But then the the blue moon thing. <laughs> I, I love that like blue moon basically almost became like a running gag on your show. Well, the funny thing is that uh, Jake actually took it too far in real life. Because Jake is a bartender. That's his profession. Oh, I see. I didn't know that. Yes. And somebody came in wanting a blue moon. And Jake just looks at the guy. He's like, really? Are, are you sure you don't want something better or like a good beer or maybe like a Diet Coke or something? <laughs> Turns out that it was a rep from, uh, I'm not sure what the, the parent company is, but the company that owns Blue Moon. Was oh, no. While he was doing that. I think it's funny. The rep didn't. So what happened? In the <laughs> well, Jake's not on unemployment, so I don't think it's anything too bad. You know, so I'm just going to chalk it up to a good story on Jake's part. Oh, man. Did they really just sit a reps in to, like, do that kind of thing? Is like a secret shopper. 
No, not so much as a secret shopper, but to talk to the... Because, I mean, he actually works in a, a resort. Okay. And they would send the rep in to talk about, you know, processing orders, seeing how sales are going, you know, letting them know about new products that are coming out. And then on his way out, the guy decided to have a beer, and he just happened to catch Jake, you know, by the horns. I'm sorry. That's probably not funny, but there's just something amazing about <laughs> oh, that. Oh, I, I laughed when I first heard it. Go. It is funny. But then you took that, and then, like, I love how now, like, your new logo is designed like the Blue Moon label. Like, it's, it's perfect. Oh, it was. I did it specifically to annoy Jake. Yes. <laughs> so how many times a week do you hear that? Like, every time you just start, like... <laughs> And I, I felt so bad, but at the same time, like, that's how I knew I was going to love your show. Because, I mean, I listened to it before, then, but then once the Blue Moon discussion came up, because I kid you not, just as I was listening to that, I was drinking a Blue Moon, and it's one of my favorites. It's kind of like a good safety when you want something that's cheapish, but not awful. Exactly. Yes. Thank you. That's my whole philosophy between about Blue Moon. It's not great beer, but it's not awful beer, and it's affordable. Thank you. And especially for someone who podcasts and drinks like a fish, you know, you can go pretty far with the case of that and still keep your shit together. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it, it's built specifically for podcasters, I think. No, it's great. Oh, man. It's like, where do we start? Like, we're finally together. And it's like, there's so many things I want to get into. But um, I know a little bit before we started, we were getting into a little bit of the the Captain America Civil War stuff, because um, at the time of this recording... Um, I guess there were several screenings that were done for both critics, and I think there were some of those were fans, right? Like who just signed up. I think some of them, yeah. But um, the early reviews, and not quite necessarily reviews, but just early reactions are in, and I'm now a little scared because part of me—not that I wanted them to be bad—but seeing as how they're so like overwhelmingly positive. What was really insane, intense, like, love before now, I'm just like, is it May already? Like, I just want to just skip the next few weeks, and I want to go straight into May 6th so I can hurry up and see this movie, because I've heard nothing but good things so far. I've seen some mixed things. Uh, I, I keep hearing that it has a lot of the same problems that uh, Batman versus Superman had as far as the subject matter and the storytelling issues. Oh, what, as far as they're just trying too many things at once? Exactly. Yes, and the fact that they're doing a rather dark, uh, serious subject matter. But I've heard it is a more fun movie than Batman v Superman. So take that what you will. I think that's kind of all I really care about. It's not like this would be the first Marvel movie to kind of deal with dark subject matter. I mean, Mm -hmm. as much as we all love Guardians of the Galaxy and use that as the perfect example of what a fun Marvel movie does... The first 10 minutes of that movie starts with a, a little boy's mother dying of cancer. Oh, yeah. Before you get into anything, like, before we get to, you know, Chris Pratt dancing to, like, you know, 70s and 80s pop tunes, we see his mother die. So, I mean, it's not the first time you've seen it go kind of dark. And me, I am now listening less and less to critics, unless they have a decent reputation and a good background in film and journalism. I'm not really listening to critics anymore. Because their opinion really doesn't matter much more than the average fan these days. Because, let's face it, media in general has become so democratized that anybody can post their opinion about anything, and it doesn't really make that much of a difference. Right. Having said that, I am still very much looking forward to Civil War. I am just hoping that it's not going to serve as only a, like a linchpin between Phase 2 and the Infinity War. That's my big fear. Does that make sense? That does make sense. And I know that was one of the 
critiques that not only have I heard, and not only just from, you know, critics, but also just from other fans, is that there was a lot of setup that they had to do in order to get to the next phase of movies. And from what I'm understanding, and okay, for the record, I really enjoyed Age of Ultron. It definitely got better with repeat viewings, but Mm. I do understand that there was definitely a bit of a disconnect between what we didn't probably wanted to do and what, you know, some of the stuff is mandated. You know, I'm a very big fan of the Marvel movies and of Marvel in general, because that's basically what I grew up with. Mm. But at the end of the day, I do also know that from a studio standpoint, and while they are trying to be at least faithful to the source material, they're still trying their best to kind of make things, you know, I guess, branch into the next thing. And sometimes story kind of gets lost in terms of, you know, you're, you're so busy on trying to set up the next thing, you kind of lose your place in the present. And there exactly, definitely was yeah. that disconnect with Age of Ultron. So hopefully this isn't the same case when it comes to Civil War, because I feel like that would do the series a disservice. I don't know. I mean, I'm still looking forward to it, though. I mean, I'm encouraged by a lot of the word of mouth, but I mean, early word of mouth said that there were all these other movies that were going to be good that ended up being disappointments. You know, I mean, look at uh, the and, and again, as somebody who enjoyed Batman v Superman, look at what the initial wave of reviews said from the people that had seen it. Right. It turns out that, you know, at least a sizable portion of the audience disagreed with it. Yeah, and it seemed like they disagreed, but I also feel that the people who really enjoyed the movie, who were very adamant that critics really... I don't know, there was like that weird thing where there was, I guess, I I hate to lump everybody together because I'm trying my best not to do that. But, (laughs) you know, there was that very vocal group where they were like saying the critics were wrong, that the movie was much better than they were saying. But at the same time, a lot of the mixed and negative views that I heard were coming from other people who were just fans. You know, they weren't critics themselves. Some of them not even podcasters. Yeah, and that is something that always kind of bugs me in general about our community. I've said it a couple times on our show. I love our people, but sometimes our people need to chill the fuck out, you know, because the people who really nitpick these movies to death are the people who are supposed to love them. And I'm not saying that you should have a blind and loyal passion, but sometimes you got to kind of let some things go, you know, because the majority of the people who saw the movie weren't people who grew up with the Bruce Tim stuff or the Christopher Reeve stuff, and they thought it was fine. I'm somewhere in the middle. Yeah, I teetered. There are some days where part of me wants to defend it more, and there are some days where I just, like, I can't. And the more I get down to it, and I don't want to spend necessarily a bulk of the time talking about this movie, but I just mean the fact of, as I go on, my views about the movie really came down to storytelling. You know, you read a lot about how your story should flow and things like that. And there was just a lot of storytelling where I felt like certain things should have been expressed more and things probably should have been lessened. And I'm just hoping that going on that, at least with Civil War, that those issues aren't a factor there. But I did hear from somebody who had seen it that I I consider them a trustworthy source that it's still a very human story. All right, I'll put it to you this way. I feel that Civil War is going to have that thing that Batman Superman had in the sense of this movie is being touted as, you know, this battle. Through all the trailers of Batman Superman, all the marketing, it's, you know, Batman Superman going toe to toe. They're going to be punching each other in the face for two hours. But it's a very small part in a very larger story. Mm -hmm. And personally, I feel like, you know, all the nitpicky things aside that I have about the movie that it really should have just been called Dawn of Justice. I agree. I agree. I absolutely agree. Or at least take out the V. 
you know, have it super, Batman, Superman, colon, Dawn of Justice, it would have made things a lot better. It, I feel like if that decision was made early on, the script probably would have helped it in a sense where, you know, there's obviously some tension here between the two characters, but you don't have to work as hard to find means to get them to fight each other. Now, the only thing I could say about Civil War is the plus side here is that, you know, they do have the fortunate aspect of having so many other movies beforehand where Tony Stark and Steve Rogers have had something of a rivalry. Like, I mean, there's a level of respect there for, you know, who each other they are, because at the end of the day, they want the same thing, but they just have very different ways of going about it. And you know, they butted heads and, you know, the other two Avengers movies. So it's like, okay, there is a little bit more of a basis and at least a little bit more groundwork as to why they would fight each other. But I don't think it's the same case of these two are going to want to kill each other. No. Unless there's something that comes up that, I don't know, you know, I'm going to just say spoilers just in case, but this isn't necessarily a spoiler for this movie, but maybe some of the other ones if anyone hasn't seen it. Um, Obviously, you've seen Captain America Winter Soldier, right? Yeah. Okay, so... That scene where um, Steve Rogers and uh, Natasha are in the bunker talking to Armazola. And, you know, he's explaining Hydra's plan and how Winter Soldier was used. Like, he was unleashed anytime they needed, like, some balance and power so that way Hydra could take over. And as he's explaining that, there's a, you know, they show a quick newspaper clipping or a, a photograph of Winter Soldier and then of Howard's, you know, Howard Stark and Maria Stark being murdered or killed in a car accident. Mm-hmm. But however, the way it's framed is you get the idea that that was a cover and basically Winter Soldier assassinated Tony Stark's parents. Yeah, I got that impression too. Yeah. So if it does come out that, you know, that if, you know, I'm wondering if, you know, storytelling is that if that becomes a thing later on, because if Tony finds that out and Steve is trying to harbor basically the man who killed his parents, then I could definitely be that a case of being enraged. (laughs) Yeah, they're going to have to do something because... I know three people in real life, not online, things like that, who will be enraged if they present Tony Stark as just the flat out villain of the piece. Which I don't think he is, though, because this story, thankfully, doesn't have the issues that the comic book version of Civil War did. It's going to have some of them as far as the collateral damage. Well, yeah, they're trying to curtail. I really do feel, though, that this will at least have a little bit more leeway where it's less of, hey, you know, the government wants us to do this thing. I want to do it. You don't want to do it. And like, there's no reason why that should lead to an actual full-scale war where people are killing each other. Now, if it's just more of a, hey, you're trying to do this thing. We're trying to stop you. Like, where it's not. I feel like the title of this movie is a little misleading. I hope so, because I don't want this just to be an excuse to get heroes to fight each other, because that seems to be the... Uh, the trend in 2016 is to let's get all these heroes to fight each other. <laughs> you know all those characters that you love? Well, they hate each other. For no reason whatsoever. Yes. <laughs> oh. But yeah, like I, I'm worried because part of me is pleased that the early buzz seems to be positive. But at the same time, I know I'm not going to feel any sort of way until I see it for myself. Exactly. And really, that's the way I wish more people would be, you know. You know, just kind of go in with a blank slate without any kind of preconceived notions, good, bad, or otherwise. Because, I mean, I I know for a fact I could show my wife one of the most beautiful movies ever, and she would hate it because of it being black and white or something goofy like that. (laughs) She sees black and white, and she automatically equates it with boring. It's like, no, it's Citizen Kane. Come on. 
<laughs> but, you know, and okay, in the case of Citizen Kane, that's a movie that I did not appreciate for a very long time because growing up, you know, being a fan of film, mm-hmm. you always hear about how Citizen Kane is one of the best movies ever made. And it's hard to go into a movie with a completely clean slate when you've had so many opinions, both positive and negative, for a particular movie. Mm-hmm. So by the time I saw it, I'm trying to see it now as the way everybody else did. And it's really hard. It's very difficult to go in and clean to something because I think we as people are just biased by nature. Uh, Especially this day and age when we have so much information about a movie given to us ahead of time. Right. You know, I I was fortunate enough to where I grew up in an age right before the Internet became prevalent. And so when I first saw Citizen Kane, and I'm about to reveal the fact that I was a geek kid, you know, even back then when it comes to movies, I I first watched it when I was... 14 and so i didn't know about the reputation it had i just watched i, I liked watching old movies and so i i, I kind of looked at it from that point of view but I, I can definitely see what you're saying as far as it, it's probably impossible anymore now that I'm, I'm thinking about it you're probably absolutely right to go into movies without any kind of notion unless you just kind of unplug yourself for a while yeah and it's hard because you know the two of us being podcasters and being geeks even if there were no podcast though but we are just into these things whether it's superheroes or sci-fi what have you so it's like of course you want to know about all the ins and outs of the things that you love but when it comes into a case of let's say a movie where you want to go in as clean as possible but yet like you're it's just like oh the debate's right there and i i grab it every time i actually forced myself for star wars oh yeah that was tough about a week after uh, before the movie came out i basically uninstalled the twitter and facebook and instagram apps off of my phone and my tablet i only watched dvr television i wanted to i didn't want to accidentally come across a review or anything like that and finally i mean my wife was lucky enough to get uh, tickets for that thursday showing and i just hightailed it as soon as i find out (laughs) i I thought i wasn't going to be able to see it until the weekend I deliberately used, I forget what other Twitter app where you can like filter, but cause it's like, oh, enter all the characters and they'll mute it once it comes up. So Star Wars, Force Awakens, episode seven, I was deleting character names. Even if I didn't even know they would be <laughs> in the movie, I just want to make sure that I knew nothing coming in. So with the exception of that first teaser and then i think this the first full trailer whatever one where's the like you see like the speeder going past like the the bombed out um okay the, yeah the one that ends with uh han solo yeah that trailer was the last i saw and i kid you not i saw it on my phone i remember jumping up and down going nuts over it i'm like you know what this is good i don't need to see it again I went to go see Ant-Man uh, that summer, and, of course, it's, like, one of the big IMAX 3D trailers. Mm-hmm. And once I saw the Lucasfilm thing, I'm like, okay, I got to shut my eyes. I, I was going to close my eyes, shut my ears, and, like, hum to myself so I couldn't hear it. But it already came up so fast. Once I saw that Star Destroyer, like, the guy next to me was staring at me the whole time. Like, is this guy for real? Because, like, the tears were literally streaming down my face. <laughs> And this guy, like, he thought something was wrong. And at some point, he literally just whispers, like, are you okay? And I was just like, do you see this? And he's like, yeah. Because I think, in a way, he probably would have had the same reaction, but didn't want to be weird. But I'm like, no, man, just let it go. This is this is the thing for me. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> it, it's what we've been wanting since, well, in my case, since 83. Oh, man. So, wait, how much older are you than me, then? Oh, what, you were born in 84? Yep. I was born in 77, sir. Nice! <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm old enough to remember going to see Star Trek II in the theater's first run. Oh, see, I'm just, see, that's why I hate people who are older than me because you got to see this shit. <laughs> I just, I was born a year after Return of the Jedi. Like, damn it. <laughs> well, well, don't feel too, uh, 
too bad for yourself because I also remember seeing Superman 3 and 4 in the theaters. Okay, this brings up an interesting question now. Okay, okay. so let's rewind back to um, Younger Tom. Okay. So, of course, keep in mind for anybody who's not aware, there was no internet. <laughs> there was no Twitter <laughs> Facebook back then. Do you remember those movies in theaters and did you have the same reaction that it seems like a lot of people did when you saw that when you were younger? Well, I immediately loved I remember being excited to go in to see Ghostbusters. Not because it was Ghostbusters, just because I was a fan of Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd. Ah, okay, you know? but <laughs> nice. And walking out of the theater loving Ghostbusters, if that makes sense. You know, I, I went in loving Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd. I left loving Ghostbusters. Yeah, I was definitely glad to see that in theaters, but granted, it was one of like the re-releases. But you're right. There was something about seeing that in theaters. It's like, a, it's a great experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there are all kinds of... Uh, I mean, they actually just bulldozed the theater that I saw a lot of those movies out. Uh, oh, that sucks. And it was sad, sad to see it go because I got to see the original Batman there. I got to see, uh, some dirty, hairy movies there. And, you know, it was sad to see it go, but now they've got the, you know, huge Google Plex with the 10,000 foot screen and, you know, uh, all of that stuff. So, I mean, it's just, uh, the progress of the times. I guess so. It doesn't hurt any less, though. But yeah, it's like so. Like seeing Superman three and four in theaters. Could you imagine if there was internet back then? Oh God! <laughs> like Richard Pryor is through. <laughs> there would be immediately petitions to fire Richard Lester. A petition to keep less Richard Lester. There'd be a petition for a solo Richard Pryor movie. <laughs> oh, we'd be fighting about everything. And oh, and Quest for Peace. My God, I was. 10 when that came out and even then i remember thinking wait a second how is that lady breathing in space (laughs) and if a 10 year old who is a lifelong superman fan is thinking that you know your movie has problems yeah that was a rough one but you know what though to this day i will say if someone told me that they were gonna put superman three and four in theaters back to back for one special night i'd be there i'd be there there. immediately yes you know, I would see that, gladly see that, those two movies over Batman vs. Superman again. Oh, I don't know about that. No, and I'm going to tell you why. Because you know what, though? As terrible as those movies are, I enjoy my corny-ass Superman. Oh, but, yeah, I mean, <laughs> when you see Gene Hackman, one of the best American actors of his generation, just there for the paycheck, having to, you know, <laughs> having to carry John Cryer through an entire movie... Yeah, it's rough. It's rough going in that movie. Oh, man. I think that some theater should just do that. And I'm talking no riff tracks, you know, no weird spoofing, just presenting them as is. And I want to see how many people go into the theaters. Well, the theater down the road from me actually just had Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Oh, see, that's a good movie, though. (laughs) That's a cinematic classic. Oh, so you're just looking for specifically bad movies. Well, at least in this case, Bat, you know, Superman 3 and 4. These two, because they figured, like, well, if you like Dawn of Justice, come see some of the original Superman films. Oh, why stop there? Go whole hog. Bring out Catwoman. Oh, yes. That would be great. And I would still see it just for the sole fact that I figured me and my buddies, oh, we would have so much fun just completely just riffing on it the whole time. Well, the theater down the road has a bar in it. Come on. Oh, God. But you guys aren't anywhere close. Get a plane <laughs> ticket. We aren't that expensive out here. <laughs> nice oh i'm so down for and that I, and, I, and i know for i know for a fact you like canadians we're right across the border yes <laughs> wow my, my my love for canada is really that strong huh yes it is 
Land of uh, Maple Syrup, Neil Young, and Poutine. Oh, yeah. I enjoy all those things. Oh, you guys have poutine out there? No, unfortunately, we don't work. Like, I'm in now, I'm in Long Island, and originally in New Jersey. There's no poutine out there. It's disco fries. Oh, no. You got to get it with the cheese curds yes. and the brown sauce. Oh, it's sauce. magical. It really is. Yeah, I don't even know what the brown sauce is. They won't say, but I don't care. It turns out it's people. <laughs> Every time you order it, like the ghost of Charlton Heston comes in and starts screaming to not eat it because it's people. Oh, man. You just sold the plate of poutine, my friend. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, like I like my Superman corny. Like, matter of fact, to me, the best rendition of Superman. And I'm not a really a big Superman fan, like fan of the character, but I'll mm-hmm. enjoy like the the movies and such. But still, I think the Max Fleischer cartoons was that the 30s or the 40s? Yes, that uh, was uh, during the 40s, I believe. Oh my gosh, to me, that is without a doubt the still like the best version of Superman that's ever been put on the screen. Certainly the most beautiful. Because he's just kick-ass in that. Like, oh my gosh. Like, it's right up there with, like, you know, Bruce Timm, Batman animated series. It's just gorgeous between the music and, like, the artwork. And just, like, the sheer just intensity of the action. Like, it's pretty in your face. Well, Bruce Timm has said many times that that's where he's gotten his main inspiration for, for the animated series, was from the Fleischer Brothers. And it shows. I really do think it'd be great to do, like, either an animated or a live-action movie kind of in that same sort of serialized style. I think it would be fantastic. Yeah, yeah, absolutely it would. Like, I just want to see uh, a Superman movie, or even, like, Batman at this point, that's just kind of maybe a little... It, where it doesn't take itself as seriously. Well, you're going to get the Lego Batman movie. And I think that's what I'm really looking forward to. Like, I'm more excited about that than anything Justice League. Maybe except for, like, Wonder Woman, because she was amazing. Yeah, Wonder Woman did... I, I, you know what the movie that I'm excited about that nobody is talking about is Shazam. I really want to see that movie. See, I didn't know much about Shazam up until I think maybe like the Justice League cartoon. And, um, I've seen it from the cartoons, but, uh, one of my former guests, a uh, good guy, uh, Jimmy LaChase, he's actually a really big Shazam fan. Mm-hmm. And I really would hope that they don't put Shazam through what I like to call the Snyder filter. No. In fact, that's actually one of the cool things about what Warner Brothers is doing where you can look at, uh, Suicide Squad, and you can tell it's a completely different movie from Batman v Superman's because they're letting each individual director kind of call the shots on their own film. I hope so, because mm-hmm. I hope there's not much in a way of studio interference with that. No, no. And, you know, Shazam just has massive appeal written all over it. It's a story about a little boy who becomes a superhero. I mean, it's the ultimate and wishful fantasy. I mean, why settle for being Robin when a kid can be the embodiment of a god? But he's still having the main t- mentality of a little kid. I mean, I really, really want to see that movie. I'm probably on board for the sole purpose of the fact that they cast um, Dwayne Johnson as Black Adam, which I think is a really good call. But the problem with it is that, and I've said this a couple times, Dwayne Johnson is as good an actor as I am a wrestler. He's not a good actor, though, but I really do feel that he's very charismatic and carries himself, even though he clearly is not an actor. No. I'm a closeted wrestling fan. All wrestlers are actors. They're just not good ones. And the Dwayne Johnson rock, he, he's not any different. We'll see. I don't know. Like it's, it's, however, though, I am curious though, seeing as how there's a lot of back and forth about whether or not the studio is a little panicked considering the divisive nature of Batman and Superman. So do you really think that they're going to alter their plans that much as some people are saying? I think that uh, Zack Snyder is going to have a lot of notes from the studio. In the meantime, the movie's on course to make between 800 and 900 million dollars with a uh, projected, I think, profit of 300 million dollars for that studio. 
they're going to sweat it too much. They'll say, keep doing what you're doing, but make it a little bit more uh, fan friendly next time around. Because the, I mean, it's divisive among the critics and the really hardcore superhero fans, but the majority of people who watched it liked it. So why would they change it? It's making money. It's pleasing the majority of people. I wouldn't do anything too different if I were them. That is true, though. But at the same time, there's one thing I know about movies, because it's the same way with music. There are studios and of any kind where you can have a number one debut that break records, mm-hmm. and some of them will still consider their film a failure. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're they're making a lot of money, but they're going to want to make a lot more money next time around. Yeah, and that's kind of why I wonder if it's worth changing their plans. And, you know, I'll switch it the other way, because so that way it doesn't seem like I'm crapping on, you know, DC the whole time. But I know with, like, let's say Marvel and Disney, where, I mean, Captain America, like, it's in the bank. That movie's going to be huge. Whether, I mean, we'll probably have the same argument, whether it's good or bad or indifferent. That movie, at least for the sole purpose of... Obviously, Captain America Winter Soldier is probably one of the most well-received of the Marvel movies. Easily. And rightfully so, because it's fucking amazing. Yes. <laughs> so, of course, anything Captain America-related that's following it up, and let's be honest. I mean, I know Captain America fans, but there weren't a lot of people who were really, like... We weren't talking about him that much when, like, let's say the first Avenger came out. Like, it was a good movie, but Winter Soldier was just like... You know, because it's, it's not really a superhero movie. It's more of like an action spy thriller that just happens to have a guy in an elaborate costume. I really wish that studios would do that more often because, I mean, the same thing was said about The Dark Knight. It was a crime noir Michael Mann type movie where instead of, you know, a detective, you know, on a police force, it was a detective wearing a bat outfit. Hopefully they they do do that more because I love the, the idea of having taking these characters and really just grounding them. Yes. Not making them so dour and depressing, but just kind of making them a little bit more relatable. Right. I mean, I almost kind of argue that the studio maybe possibly learned a little bit of the the wrong lessons from the Dark Knight trilogy, but that's neither here nor there. Real quick, as an aside, the number one wrong lesson that uh, any studio, I think, learned from the Dark Knight trilogy is hiring David Goyer. Okay, Thank you. Thank you so much. I almost banged on my desk and I realized I would knock my mic over. But yeah, <laughs> I want to say, Zack Snyder aside, God damn, is he not a good writer. <laughs> no, I lay most of the problems. And again, I like the movie. I've seen it four times because I liked it that much. It's not a perfect movie. And any fault that I have with that movie lays squarely at the feet of David Goyer. Lest we forget, this is the guy that brought us the second Ghost Rider, the third Blade movie. The David Hasselhoff version of Nick Fury. Wait, David Goyer wrote that? And directed it. Jesus Christ. Wait, didn't he also direct um, Mortal Kombat Annihilation? Was that him? I'm not sure, but it wouldn't surprise me. He did the Blade TV show. Oh, God, that TV show was so bad. Puppet Masters, Dollman vs. Demonic Toy, Crow City of Angels. Oh, man. So here's my thing. This man needs to be stopped. <laughs> it's just proof that in Hollywood, you can fail upward. <laughs> wait quick question if he's done all this nonsense how the fuck did he get batman versus superman arguably one of the most highly anticipated comic book movies that exists he got that because he was working with the nolans on the dark knight trilogy I'm how did he fi- even get those that's movies. what i'm trying to figure out 
Because Christopher Nolan came very heavily favored after he did, oh, was not Memento. What is, um, was it Insomnia? Oh, yeah, yeah. That was the movie that he did prior to Batman Begins. Absolutely. Because yeah. I don't know if you listened to the podcast, um, How Is This Movie with Dana Buckler. Great podcast, by yeah. the way. But Yeah, I have actually listened to a couple episodes. Um, very good yeah, show. he did an episode because he was talking about, and I can't remember, it might have been Insomnia, but one of the, um, a movie or a short that Nolan did that basically, like, the studio was like, we got to get him on something big. Oh, that was following. Yes, that's it. Thank you. I couldn't remember it. But even then, I'm like, this is why I feel like there is such a thing as luck. Because on paper, nothing about his resume would be like, get him on Batman. I don't get it. I do not get it at all. Unless they figured that Batman Begins just wasn't going to be like that big a movie, that it was just going to kind of be like a fly-by-night sort of thing. Well, that was definitely a case of a studio kind of dipping its toes back into some water that it had a bad history with. Because prior to Batman Begins... What did we have? Arnold Schwarzenegger and Uma Thurman. Ah, uh, and I did like that. I, you know what? Looking back, I enjoyed that movie now more than I oh ever did. Oh my god! Are you kidding me? No. Well, now seeing it through the well, of course. Okay, <laughs> when it all right, you have to understand. This is me. Grant, I know there's a, maybe it's an age thing because obviously I love the Keaton movies, but Batman Returns as a kid, not that it scared me. I felt odd watching that movie i felt odd about uh danny devito walking around in uh, that huge mobile duck yeah it was it was a very weird grotesque movie like matter of fact i think batman returns is the most tim burton movie that tim burton's ever tim burton i was just about to say that yeah but the schumacher stuff it just felt like a toy commercial more than anything and as someone who owned all those toys you're right the story that I like to tell, again, I, I keep bringing this guy up. You know, I'm practically married to him. Uh, Jake and I, when we were roommates, we went and saw Batman and Robin in the theater. And we walked out kind of feeling depressed because we knew that that was the end of the line for those movies. They weren't going to do anything else. And then just to kind of cleanse our palate, we went to the video store, if you remember those, and rented yep. Mask of the Phantasm. And we had never, ever seen that movie before. It just seemed kind of kitty and, you know, not really up our alley. And we watched it, and by the time that movie was over, we were so furious, angry, literally angry, because the cartoon movie was so much better than the movie that they spent like a hundred and some odd million dollars. Yeah, that was an unprecedented budget for that movie. You know, and I, I love the fact that George Clooney is still to this day apologizing for it. Which, it, it wasn't his fault. He, you know, not for nothing. No. That movie didn't really hurt him because I think that was really before Clooney. I mean, obviously he was huge on ER though, but his movie career really hadn't taken off. He had From Dust Till Dawn, actually. That was a fairly big hit for him. That is true. So he did take a small, a bit of a jump back, but he managed to pick himself up and dust himself off. Yeah. I don't think that was really his fault though. Like, I mean, he, no, you could tell he's no. trying. If anything, he just seemed disinterested. I agree. I, I think he was given tools that he didn't really know how to operate. You know, in which case, I, I blame the people that handed him those tools more than anything. Yeah, that's a clear case of, you know, I mean, Batman Forever is definitely not up there with, like, the Heat movie, but there's still some semblance of a good flick in there somewhere. But Batman and Robin, yeah, that one, it's like, I, it's just, uh, and it's a shame because that first trailer, I'll never forget it, where they're showing that one scene of Mr. Freeze when he's in jail and he's like, you know, all the chilling sound of your doom or whatever. It looked kind of crazy. Like, it looked kind of awesome. Like, Schwarzenegger being more sinister than, like, you know, cartoonish. I'm like, oh, okay, maybe this might work. And then we got him singing the Snow Miser theme. Maybe if I'm drinking enough one night, I'll have to revisit that movie. Because I have not seen that since 97. Really? Yeah, I saw it once in the theater, and that was it. 
every time a box set comes out with all four movies, I'll, you know, I'll pass on it, get the first two movies and call it good. I have not seen that movie, God, in almost 20 years now. Once you kind of lower your expectations a bit, and, you know, it's kind of like how I had to view The Dark Knight Rises. Batman Begins was, I thought, a really good movie, a really strong first movie. The Dark Knight, naturally, that was worth the hype because everything about that movie probably should not have worked and it was legendary. Yes. Going into The Dark Knight Rises, once I found out, like, you know, they're putting Bane, they're putting Catwoman, they're doing all this, and I'm like, you know, this kind of seems more of like what they did with Batman and Robin where there seems like they're shoving a lot of stuff in this movie because it's like it's it's drawing from Nightfall, it's drawing from all this other stuff. And so, like, so when I sat to that movie... I don't know what it was. I almost got kicked out of the theater because every time Bane spoke, I just couldn't stop laughing. <laughs> like, I'm talking in tears, like, guffaws, and, like, the guy behind me is kicking his seat. Even my friend, well, who he was laughing, too. But it just, I could not deal with that movie. And then once it got to the sewer, the fight in the sewer, I was in tears, like, uproariously laughing because there was something about that fight and how badly it was choreographed. You could tell that Nolan didn't really want to make that movie. Yes. You know, he was feeling pressured by the studio. He probably had a feeling that if he passed on this studio, he wouldn't get to make the movies that he really wanted. And so he kind of had his back against the wall. And you could tell that, in my opinion, if I had to guess, again, you know, I'm placing the blame at the feet of David Goyer. Yeah, because it's like Goyer probably wanted to play the game because at this point, I feel like he, whatever the studio wants, he'll just do. Like, you know, he'll 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 work for that check and whatever. That's fine. But Nolan, if nothing else, is insanely smart because, you know, it's like, you know, he made Batman Begins, which didn't gave him the prestige. You know, then he did The Dark Knight, which gave him Inception. And then from The Dark Knight Rises, he made Interstellar, which, you know, say what you will about the movie, but it's a pretty massive achievement for a director who isn't necessarily considered one of, like, the greatest ever. You know, he's really good at kind of doing what Ben Affleck did in James Bond Bob. You know, you, you do the safe movie, then you do the art movie. Yeah. So if nothing else, I got to give him props, though. Dark Knight Rises could have very well been a dent in his file, but he somehow made it work for him. Yeah, I mean, it looks good. It just doesn't gel. Um, It's like, do you guys, do you listen to uh, Epic Film Guys? Yeah, I just started listening to it not too long ago. They actually summed up that movie perfectly where they said it was a series of some really cool batman vignettes but it's not a whole cohesive story right i think that's probably the most fair assessment of that movie that i've ever heard now with all that said i was one of the people i remember on my old show um adrian and atlas have issues we weren't even going to record an episode for like maybe another week and a half we basically found out at the exact same time because i remember we like texted each other but we both found out that ben affleck was going to play batman we pretty much ran, I was like, but like, okay, how soon can you pick me up? Ran to his house and did this episode to basically just be like, what the fuck are they thinking? Why? Why are you doing this? Oh, I signed the petition immediately. <laughs> oh, did you? Yes, I did. Uh. I, have since, I have since publicly apologized to Ben Affleck and I'll do it again. I'm sorry, Ben. I was wrong. I don't know if I'll apologize, but I definitely will eat at least maybe like half a crow because <laughs> I thought he did a decent job, but just had nothing to work with. I want at least another two movies out of him before I'm willing to call him the definitive Batman. For my money, he was really good. I just want to see a Batman that actually lives up to the world's greatest detective title. What is your def definition of a detective? Because I, I grew up with uh, around a lot of police officers. And so when I hear detective, I think of investigators. As do I, because my dad's a cop. Okay. Uh, he was clearly an investigative detective in that movie. 
I mean, he was, but I feel like there was, you know, I, these aren't my words. I can't remember who said this. I'm like, you know, for a detective, you sure to jump to a lot of conclusions. I mean, he wasn't a forensic detective. I guess really. part of me almost likes more of the, the sleuth kind of forensic Batman. Okay. I like the Batman that goes to a scene and it's literally like, you know, dusting prints, you know, checking like, you know, gunpowder residue, like really trying to like recreate the crime and trying to like think of the next step. Mm-hmm. And I know it's not necessarily an exciting blockbuster movie, but like matter of fact, it was that the Dark Knight, the the scene where after that shooting, when um, Batman's in, you know, he's checking like the bullet hole and things like that. And that little bit where he's, you know, checking out the crime scene. I ate that shit up. Like, I really mm. geeked out over that. But I know it's not really thrilling. You can't sell toys off of that. You know, you can't really sell a, oh, here's um Detective Batman with gunshot residue action, you know? You know what? I would buy that figure. <laughs> I would buy that figure. Batman with, you know, the blood splattered analysis. Yeah. Like, I to me, I love that stuff. Like, even in, like, the Arkham games where you have to actually go through, like, using the detective vision, like, to find the footprints and stuff like that. Like, to me, that's so much more fun than punching and kicking bad guys. But I guess that's more of, like, the nerd in me than anything else. I just want to see a little bit more of that Batman. I honestly do believe that we're going to see a completely different, I don't want to say a completely different version, but we're going to see a lot more aspects of that character in Justice League because I have a feeling you're going to see the leadership qualities in Batman that we've never seen on film. I think you are going to see a lot of uh, his investigative skills as far as trying to piece together whatever the hell is going on with Darkseid, not to mention tracking people down. I, I think you're going to see that. I really do. I don't even necessarily want to see Batman get involved in like a dark side or otherworldly. I just kind of want to see this Gotham that they have set up because I think there's some interesting pieces. And I will say though, if nothing else, Ben Affleck is great behind the camera more so than I think he is in front of it. I'll give him that. I'll definitely give him that. I think he did a really good job with the, um, was it the town in Argo? Yes. So maybe with his direction and if the studio can pretty much bet just back the fuck off and let him and let everybody else make the movies that they're going to make, they will hopefully at least, not in a, oh, they'll beat Marvel way, but just a, you won't be embarrassed by their movies kind of thing. Well, you know who uh, is writing the screenplay with him, don't you? Who? Jeff Johns. I know he is involved with the Netflix shows, if I'm not mistaken, right? As like an executive producer or some creative... Uh... No, you're thinking you're thinking Jeff Loeb, sir. Oh, shoot. Oh, then I don't know Jeff Johns as much. Jeff Johns, uh, he does a lot of work with the flash and arrow and all those shows he's done you know i'm not a big fan of it a lot of work with smallville i mean if he's worked on flash i mean i again i'm not like the biggest dc fan outside of like the cartoons and stuff but mm -hmm. the flash tv show i've just now i think halfway through season one i'm really enjoying this show i envy you you get to watch that stuff for the first time that's I wish I could go back and watch that stuff for the first time. Like, you know, at first, because I'm like, all right, I'll see if this is any good. But, you know, obviously Twitter blows up. So, and at the time, yeah. I didn't care about spoilers at all. But now that I'm watching it, I'm like, shut up. I don't want to know. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like, it's a really strong show. But granted, it's more of like that kind of serialized, a little almost. I know some people say it's too much like a soap opera. But I kind of, I know we had that thing online. But, you know, obviously I have no problem with soap operas. But, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, The Young and the Restless, yes. That was great. For for those of you who don't know what we're talking about, and I, I think there's probably maybe 10 people who would, we were talking about how uh, you enjoyed the the aspects of the CW shows more than the movies, and I say that I like the characters on the CW show, but it just too soap opera 
And then all of a sudden we kind of diverged into a discussion of your grandmother and my mother who both loved Young and the Restless. Yes. That was great. Oh, but Victor Newman is still one of the greatest comic book (laughs) villains who's never touched a page. He's such an asshole. Anytime he's been threatened to be shot or killed, you're like, you know what? He deserved that. But at the same time, you're rooting for him. It's like, get up, crush everybody, ruin your relationships, (laughs) cheat on your wife. You're like, wait, what? (laughs) (laughs) That's the way my mother was with Days of Our Lives. And I think his name was Stefano. Oh, I've heard Stefano. Yes, that's the big, the, the, he looks kind of like the bearded guy, right? I think he had a beard at one point. Yeah. Just, I mean, the ultimate soap opera bad guy. Yes, that was a big deal because every time you go to the supermarket, it's like, oh, great. Let's look at the magazine. What's Stefano doing this time? Yep. <laughs> and that's such a great villain named Stefano. Like, you know, it's <laughs> it's got weight to it. Yes, it does. I mean, that and Victor. Right? Oh, man. All you got to do is just shave um, Eric Braden's head and just, you know, put like a nicer suit on him. He could be totally a great Lex Luthor. I could see that. Yeah. Oh, you know who uh, they were actually considering for Lex Luthor in this movie, and it breaks my heart? It was Brian Cranston, right? Yes. Somebody recently, and it's just like, man, they really blew an opportunity there. Well, I was the guy who said, I don't want to see him as Lex Luthor. I want to see him as Batman. Brian Cranston as like an older Batman? Yes. You know, that's, okay, that's another thing. You know, no offense to Affleck. Okay, maybe a little offense, but, you know, we were sold on this Batman as supposedly... You know, an older, kind of a little more bitter. You know, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, though. Like, Ben Affleck still looked too well off. Like, I was... <laughs> you know, for if I looked like... If I was at the end of my rope and I looked like him, I would be like, are you kidding me? This is great. <laughs> yeah. I was really hoping to get, like, an older guy, like a Cranston, maybe somebody who, you know, obviously looks older, but still, I think, is great at just playing those characters who are just, like... You know, I mean, obviously, I don't really watch a lot of Breaking Bad, but, you know, I've at least seen clips and started watching a little bit on Netflix. Well, uh, if it means anything to you, after that series wrapped up, Anthony Hopkins sent a letter to Brian Cranston saying that he delivered the finest piece of acting he'd ever seen. Holy shit, really? Yes. I know it's a lot heavier subject matter than, you know, uh, The Flash and Young and the Restless, but if you ever find the time, I cannot recommend Breaking Bad highly enough. Yeah, so anything that's going on with the TV shows, that's not anything to do with the movies, right? Like, they're completely separate? Yes. So does that mean that they could actually pull in elements from those characters on TV? Yes, absolutely they can. So, okay, I mean, I know it's kind of a stretch, but, like, imagine if they do, like, another crossover kind of thing. And Because Supergirl, is that set in Metropolis? No, it's in Liberty City? I, I'm not sure. I've only watched a couple episodes before I kind of gave up on it. Okay, but I don't know where Supergirl's related in the comics, but I mean, if she were like in Metropolis or something like that, or if they do like another mm-hmm. crossover, I wonder if they could pull in Cranston or if, I don't know if he'd, you know, cost too much now, but that'd be great to see him in some form of Lex Luthor. There's no reason why they can't. Oh, that'd be dope as hell. And, you know, that's actually one of the cool things that I, people bitch and moan about the separation between the TV universe and the movie universe with DC. I think it's cool because as a DC fan, I loved the concept of the multiverse. And now we literally have a live action multiverse. I never thought we'd get to see that. That's been said a lot lately to people I've had on the show and outside the show. And I wonder if that is something they're planning on doing, because if they do that, then you know what? I may back my protest because then that it would be much easier to disregard some of the dubious elements of the movies. Yeah, they, <laughs> th- I have a feeling, I have a very strong feeling that they are eventually going to have a crossover between the TV movie universe and The Flash is going to be the linchpin. When I found out that they weren't going to use Grant Gustin for the movies, my heart broke because I'm like, 
I don't necessarily know much about the history of Barry Allen. All I know is, as like as a Flash or as a character, I think he does a really great job of portraying the Flash. He does. He absolutely does. Uh, but I mean, that's the cool thing about this. Uh, what they're setting up. I mean, you're going to have different versions, and there's no reason why they can't cross over. Yeah. Oh man, I, I just thought about just him, like you know, meeting up with like Affleck for the first time. <laughs> that would be fun. Oh, but here comes the question of the day. Will we get to see Henry Cavill's Superman smile? Yes. <laughs> you, you can't live with Amy Adams' Lois Lane and not smile, sir. Uh, and that's the other thing, too. And I'm just like, that movie... Oh, God, see, I'm slipping back into it. See, I told you it would come up at some point. <laughs> it just seemed like there were so many great bits that just... like Because Amy Adams, ever since I saw Junebug about like 10 years ago, like I've just I thought she was a really great actress. Yes, she And is. I just feel like she deserves... This movie doesn't deserve her. It doesn't even deserve Jeremy Irons, who is an interesting Alfred. I mean, I'm not necessarily sure if it completely clicks with me, but I wanted to know more about him. And it's like, you know, where are they in this stage of the game? You know, as far as... Because obviously Batman's kind of been not really doing much for a while. Like, what was he up to? And it's like between him and it's just like, oh, they've got these really great players, but it's like you give them nothing to chew on. Well, I really enjoyed the dynamic between Irons and Ben Affleck. And I have a feeling that you're going to get what you want because the rumor has it that the script that Affleck and Jeff Johns are working on is based directly off of Under the Red Hood. And Alfred does play a pivotal role in that. Okay, so basically the the Robin suit that's got the spray paint on it, that's kind of like that's Josie Jason Todd? Yes, and uh, I don't think it was the Joker that spray painted in that suit and destroyed Wayne Manor. I think it was Jason Todd. Was as a Miz direct, I guess, trying to make it was like it was Joker or I think so, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, you're not the first person to say that though, but I don't know. I just think Henry Cavill as a Superman, not you know, bad. He's got he's definitely got the look. I'm just tired of seeing that dude scowl. I think and I've mentioned this a couple of times, my theory is they are playing a long game with these movies. I think after Superman comes back to life, Justice League Part Two really kicks into gear, you're gonna see a complete shift. Not only in the behavior of Superman, but even the color palette. Things I think will get brighter. I think they will get more like what you're used to. It's all about, I don't don't want to say the cliche of the journey, but that's the only thing I can really think of. The other thing that I wanted to mention about um, the idea of a solo Batman movie that I'm crossing my fingers on is Jeff Johns is a dyed-in-the-wool, no-shame lover of all things Michigan because he grew up in the area. You know, grew up in Detroit, went to uh, Michigan State University, loves the state. Batman v Superman, as uh, you probably know, was filmed in Pontiac, Michigan. And I tried my damnedest to get in on that movie as an extra. Had a couple of close calls, but I didn't quite get there. I'm hoping that we can get another go around because, damn it, I got to be in one of these movies. If I can say that I was in a Batman or even a superhero movie, I'm going to put that on my tombstone. Yeah, that's a pretty awesome thing, especially as someone who's clearly a fan, to be like, hey, yes. I was one of the random people that got gunned down by a crook. <laughs> I actually got a casting call. I saved the email. I'll have to forward it to you. They needed somebody to play a jail guard. I had no idea what the hell they were talking about, obviously, but I have a feeling it was for that last scene with Lux. Okay. That would have been pretty cool. And if they, if I'm willing to bet Jeff Johns talks them into going back to... Pontiac, because we actually, believe it or not, do have a film industry here. I am hoping to God I can get in there. That would be awesome. I mean, I I know, like, in and of myself, even if I'm not 
a, as big a fan of you, even just to say, hey, I was on the set of this movie, I think it's got to be, you know, pretty cool. You know what? As much as I, you know, have made fun of David Goyer this hour, if I could have gotten on the set of that David Hasselhoff movie, I would still be bragging about it. Yeah, that's a story to tell because then everybody's exactly. like, oh, wait, did you meet Hasselhoff? What did you like? Did you hassle him? I was like, no, you don't hassle off. You know, you go into that whole exchange. <laughs> The way I look at it is if I can get paid to do something I do for free, why not? Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, man. Now I got to go back and revisit that because you mentioned a few times the uh, Nick Fury movie. I haven't seen that since it first aired. And it's like, I wonder if it's as amazingly awful as I remember it being. That is rife for riff tracks fodder. You know, that's the only way that you can watch those movies. I was thinking about that a lot lately as far as bad comic book movies. I had this realization with myself of thinking about the few recent duds and just thinking like, you know, these weren't that long ago. Like some of these just happened and it's kind of scary that we really haven't gotten that far along as we think we have. No, no, we haven't. But I mean, we're still having issues with movies like, you know, uh, that last Ghost Rider movie. And I think it was only 10 years ago that the first Daredevil movie came out. Speaking of projects that are kind of breaking my heart, they are developing a Cloak and Dagger series. I'm not really up on Cloak and Dagger. I don't know. I just had this weird love of just offshoot characters. Like, Hawkeye is one of my favorite Avengers, and Cloak mm. and Dagger is a series that I love. And I don't even necessarily know why. Actually, I know why I love it, but I'm not going to bore you with all that because it gets really, really annoying. I think I annoy people when I talk about Cloak and Dagger. Well, you know what? I have a co-host uh, in Jake who loves Dark Hawk, so you aren't telling me anything I haven't heard. <laughs> Like, it's just a really great premise because here you have two runaways. And keep in mind, it's this perfect place in time of it's 80s New York, which obviously is a lot different than, you know, whereas now where you go into Times Square and it's Disneyland. Yeah, you take pictures of Spider-Man. There's, you know, Dave and Buster's. There's all this great family stuff Um, back in the 80s and early 90s. Not so much. A lot of prostitution, a lot of crime. It was it was pretty rugged. Mm-hmm. So here you have two runaways who are from different walks of life, you know, which, I mean, some of it may seem in poor taste now, but, you know, you have the one girl who came from an affluent family who was a runaway. Then you have, you know, the one kid, the, the black kid who's, you know, from the rougher side of the, from the city. And, you know, they kind of meet each other and, you know, they develop like a bond. You know, they actually get along very well. And in their original incarnation, you know, they were kidnapped and experimented on with, you know, with some sort of drug, which gave them superpowers. She gets the power of pure light, and he's the embodiment of darkness. And the problem is, though, is that his power is kind of like all-consuming to the point where he can consume himself as well as everybody else around him, but feeds off of her light to keep himself going. And it's like, while they are very close in and depending on the story, it's like, okay, you get that there's a relationship there. But in a way, the relationship is also kind of the thing that's sort of ruining their lives. So, like, they use their powers for good to help, you know, other kids, you know, get off the streets. Because a lot of the early miniseries dealt with them trying to help kids who were being exploited by, like, you know, pimps and drug dealers and things like that. And it's a pretty heavy story. 
Yeah, especially for the time. But I guess in a way, they always end up just being side characters who either pop up in like Spider-Man or they were actually in the X-Men for a while up until there was quite literally a scene where they go through and like, yeah, you guys aren't mutants. You're going to have to leave. <laughs> now that they don't have any mutants, they kind of have to work with what they got. Yeah, it seems like that way. And now they're doing uh, a TV show, which they seem to be pushing the relationship aspect. And it looks almost more of like a teen drama that just may have superheroes in it. And part of me kind of got a little disappointed. Have you seen the new uh, Star Wars trailer? Oh, Rogue One. Damn. How do we not start with that? Oh, yeah. shit? I am so sorry. <laughs> no, I, I completely blind. I was just kind of excited to finally get to talk to you. No, I actually have some issues with uh, Internet fandom. Again, I love our people, but sometimes our people can be really unbearable where you're having a lot of them griping about the fact that there is a lady as the main protagonist. no. They're doing it again? Yeah, I'll be honest with you. Call me naive, call me whatever. When I saw that, I didn't immediately think, oh, here's a lady in another Star Wars movie. I just saw Star Wars. And this is the same franchise that had Princess Leia. In my opinion, it's been one of the cool things about Star Wars is the fact that that shit really does not matter. You know, I don't know if anybody who I know says that kind of thing, but I don't want to be associated. If those people are considered geeks, and I don't want to be one. Yes, seriously, just sit in the row opposite from me in the theater. That's all I ask. Yeah, because it's like, okay, if she's a good character, if she's not a good character, not well thought out, okay, that's whatever, because, you know, that's, I think that's a good conversation that's to legitimate. have. Yes. But if your sole critique about this movie is the fact that there's a female lead and that's all you have an issue with, go fuck yourself. I agree. You know, I, I saw the trailer. I think it looks like it's going to be really fun. And I was, okay, because here was my thing with that. I was worried because, I mean, obviously this isn't the first time Star Wars has dealt with the prequel, but they're now touching on a scenario that's pretty close to the original trilogy. Mm. And one of the main issues that I had with the prequels is that we're supposed to believe that this is set, you know, I mean, was it 30 years ahead of um, episode four? Mm -hmm. But yet nothing really about that movie looks like it's set in the same universe. Like there's certain things that you can kind of pick and choose here. It's like almost like a completely different universe at times. So I was worried if trying to go back into something in the past, but through like a modern filter, like it'd kind of be jarring. You know what I mean? Like when you try to watch like Revenge of the Sith and then go right into A New Hope where it's like this is supposed to be later, but it looks so much older. I can see that. I did not get the impression as far as it, it's like the vehicles and weaponry in episode one looked so much sleeker than the stuff in episode four. I got the impression that that's not the case with this. The only thing that I really am kind of shaking my head at that makes it look like it's not going to be a, a cohesive straight line from Rogue One to A New Hope is that it looks like it's shot in a completely different style. That is more using modern techniques than they had in 1977. Right. But that right there is just really bad film geek nitpicking on my part. Same here. But, I mean, the fact that it evoked so many things from that original trilogy and done pretty well. I mean, I'm even geeking out a little bit because of what we saw in the prequels where episode three ended where we're seeing the initial construction of the frame of the Death Star. Right. And here we are seeing the Death Star being finished. I'm sorry, that's kind of cool. No, it's, it's great. And, you know, it's Star Wars. I'm already on board to begin with. And we've already been there for what a lot of people would be considered the low point. The, Donnie fucking Yen is in a Star Wars movie. Like, as... <laughs> that, right, that right there just oh, sold on, me. Yeah, you have you have Forrest Whitaker in the trailer. Like, that's crazy to me. Like, I that's... 
oh man like as far as just the leads i don't know like it's just it just looks good and even if this movie is not that great like who's directing this i'm not even sure and it's gonna be like the same formula for lack of a better word that uh disney is used with uh with the marvel movies it's not gonna really matter who directs it's gonna be all done by the producers and i'm fine with that for what it is as long as the product turns out good. Once we get closer to the release date, I'm going to be nuts. But from that first trailer, I'm like, all right. I was a little worried of them kind of dipping back into the archives a little bit. But that was a very strong first trailer. And to tell you the truth, at this point, I don't really need to see much of anything else. I think I'm kind of sold. Yeah, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I'm kind of nervous about the, um, the Han Solo movie. I am too. Just because those are some really big shoes to fill. On the other hand, I'm excited at the aspect of maybe a Boba Fett movie because that's not something that you have to really recast. And I'm really, really crossing my fingers that we'll see an Obi-Wan trilogy. I would actually see an Obi-Wan story more than I would a Boba Fett. And not that I don't love Boba Fett. I would too. But I think that what was great about that character is the mystery surrounding him. Seeing him as a small kid really took away some of the mystique of Boba Fett, I feel. <laughs> you went too far back into a I, story. I, I I agree. Um, I kind of look at it the same way as I do Wolverine, and apparently what DC wants to do with the Joker, where one of the cool things is that we didn't really know. We could project what we wanted to on their history. We could kind of sit and think about what their history was, and then when you're given that history, it's never as good as what you came up with in your own head. And I have a feeling that that, might happen with Han Solo, maybe. That's what I'm kind of nervous about. I think it was Big Kev's Geek Stuff, another podcast I listened to, where one of the hosts had mentioned that it would be cool if instead of it being Han Solo origin story, if it's more just setting up the story of how he met Chewie, because there's a really cool story behind that, which I don't think is considered canon, or maybe it is, because if I'm not mistaken, how I've always understood it is Han Solo meets Chewie because Chewie, like, I think he was in the Imperial Academy, and he saved um, Chewbacca from being killed by, like, I don't know if it was, like, Imperial officers or stormtroopers, but basically he saves his life, which is obviously how the life that came into play. Mm -hmm. Like, I would rather it just be kind of like a when Chewie met Han story as opposed to seeing Han Solo's origin, because I don't think it's all that important. I would rather watch that movie. But at the same time, I'm going to have a hard time seeing anybody other than Harrison Ford in that role. I mean, why can't they give Harrison Ford, like, 50 or 75 million dollars cgi the old off of him and just have him play han solo again or better yet why not just make the movie where it's you know because there's what 30 years between episodes seven and um i'm sorry uh six and seven tell a story about one of the adventures he was having in between those movies yeah how did he end up being a smuggler again yeah that i'd watch that movie I think it would be really interesting to tell a non-linear set of stories with this new trilogy. Like, okay, you give 7, 8, and 9, but then you use the other movies as like a stopgap in between. So that way you could devote full attention to how, like, you know, things like the First Order, like you said, what Han Solo's been doing, except for Obi-Wan, because I think you could tell a lot of cool stories as to what happened between 3 and 4. Oh, yeah, absolutely, you could. There's There's a lot of room in there. Rogue One is uh, directed by Gareth Edwards. Oh, I'm sold. Done. Done deal. Yeah, that was kind of the reaction I had with Ryan Johnson, because he directed um, Looper. Oh, that is a really good one. And he also, again, kind of circle back to Breaking Bad, he directed some of the better episodes of Breaking Bad. Interesting. Yes. 
However, I'm really not sold on Colin Trevorrow doing episode nine. You know what? I didn't see Jurassic World, so I probably shouldn't judge. But on the other hand, Jurassic World just did not look appealing to me at all. I was not a fan of that movie, and I can't really say because I don't want to spoil it for you if you haven't seen it. But I have I have no plans on seeing it, so I'll go ahead and spoil away. Uh, there's just something. I'm a nostalgia junkie, so I can't even say it played too much on nostalgia. It was trying to be self-aware and of the, you know, obviously pay service to the original Jurassic Park, but it was just very strangely mean-spirited. There was, it wasn't really much fun. Hmm. Like, I don't, it's hard to say. All right. So other than the stupid plot of them, like trying to do, okay, here's the thing. Cause the whole part of the movie is, I'm trying to condense it, but Jurassic Park has been open for a while and the park is now just, just having this issue of they need big retractions because the T-Rex just wasn't doing it anymore. They needed a new thing to get everybody excited to come to Jurassic Park. So that's when they made like this hybrid. It's funny because I feel like the plot of the movie was almost addressing itself how like the original Jurassic Park, while it was respected, it was old. It was like, you know, the old thing. And this is supposed to be like the new thing that's going to get people in. And it was almost... Like, it was so on the nose about how it felt about itself in the series. And it plays up a lot of the nostalgia moments of the original. Like, you see, like, one of the, the old cars that, were you know, they were on the, the track that got smashed by the T-Rex. You know, it plays a lot of the same theme songs. And matter of fact, Jake Johnson's character wears a T-shirt from the original Jurassic Park when he's in the control room. And, you know, B.D. Wong's in it. And now he's, like, this shitty guy who's, like, working with the scientists that are doing fucked up shit. And it's just weird. Like, I feel like there was, like, a lot of contempt for itself. Uh. Like, there was just nothing, no, there was nothing to be excited about. You don't, you know, Chris Pratt's kind of, you know, he's kind of the hero but he's pretty terrible so is bryce towards character and the one guy who's supposedly the guy you're supposed to feel bad for he's almost as bad as you know the original creator and it's just like there's just nothing to get excited about the movie now i heard that the the main antagonist what he wanted to do was to weaponize the dinosaurs which doesn't make any fucking sense in a world where we have smart bombs and drones why would you do that yeah like <laughs> That I literally just laughed hysterically because Vincent D'Onofrio's trying to like get them to control these dinosaurs so they could use them on a battlefield, and I'm like, guys, we have robots. Yeah, and they're probably <laughs> cheaper and easier to control. <laughs> I mean, say what you will about drone warfare, but they aren't going to go on a rampage and accidentally eat a bunch of other soldiers, right? And they keep you know saying like, no, you can't do that because these are creatures, as if they really care for them. But it's like they're a park attraction. Yeah, no shit. Exactly. So it was just weird, this whole thing of, oh, it's wrong that he wants to weaponize the dinosaurs, but you're keeping him for entertainment and they're living fucking creatures. Why are you trying to sell me on his morality play right now? Yeah, I, I know that uh, the guys that I do the show with were big fans of it, but I kind of asked them if you could take away all the really cool special effects and the, take off the nostalgia glasses, would you like the movie the same way? And they couldn't really give me an answer. And, and to me, I'd rather watch a screensaver. I would get the same thing out of it. You know, it, it looks pretty and it's forgettable. If you've got like a big screen TV and you got it on Blu-ray and you got a really good stereo system, it's worth watching just for like the auditory aspects because it's a gorgeous movie. But it's a very hollow movie and it's very wrong-headed. And I know that sounds weird and kind of like over, you know, over-parenting kind of thing. Like, but I just. I don't who I don't know who the movie was for because nothing after I would say the Lost World made me want to see more Jurassic Park. 
Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with you. Um, I, I wish Jake was here right now because he would kind of go in about how I don't like fun things. But I was a little kid and I didn't really enjoy Jurassic Park because, one, again, once you got past the dinosaurs, Jeff Goldblum aside, there really wasn't a lot in that movie for me to latch on to. It's a good story. You know, I like what it plays. I never read the book, so I can't really comment on that. But I definitely respect what that movie did. And I mean, I don't necessarily have the same level of nostalgia that a lot of people seem to have for it. But I loved mm-hmm. it in theaters and I had the toys and the vehicles and... And I definitely remember where I was when I saw it, because at that point, you never really saw anything like it. So I definitely will appreciate its place in time and where I was. But I just felt like since then, you're trying to kind of recreate something that it just was a moment. Like, you just can't get it back. Most of the movies seem to be trying to get it back, which I think is not healthy for an industry, because you have to keep pushing forward. If you keep cannibalizing your own past, eventually you're going to run out of stuff. And then what? You can do more Jurassic Park movies, that's fine, but it had to be a really strong script to move forward because I like the idea that the park was already open. So it's not like they're, you know, re-trying to go through that whole thing again, but I don't know. I just, I don't know what you could really do with that series that would feel like a really good progression. Word has it they're going to be trying to make an expanded universe out of it. Wait, what? Yeah, where they're going to have several franchises out of it. How? I I don't know. How are they going to have a... You know, Ghostbusters expanded universe. Uh, so here we are again talking about studios learning the wrong lessons. It seems to be the <laughs> theme of tonight because it's like, this is what happens. This happens every time where obviously they see what's happening with Marvel and with DC and, you know, superhero or comic book type properties building a universe. I'm like, it's easy there because it already exists. You can't do that same thing with, like, I mean, you could, but do you really need, like, an expanded Ghostbusters universe or even Jurassic Park? No, you don't. I mean, with Jurassic Park, okay, you can kind of play with a little bit of that, like, because the idea of, you know, the, the dinosaurs broke out of the park again, so now they're probably scattered in various places, and someone will probably end up breeding, so maybe you could tell stories about, like, if they did, like, um, like an anthology, like a Jurassic Park presents where you're telling stories that just happen to be based in this movie. But even then, like, what are you going to do? Like tell like a suicide squad type movie that just happened to have T-Rexes in it while they're planning like this big coup. Like what the fuck? <laughs> like one will be a heist movie. It'd be like Ocean's Eleven, but they got to steal a dinosaur. Like, I don't <laughs> Brad Pitt and uh, George Clooney punch a raptor in the face or something. Okay, I would watch that movie. <laughs> if you can sneak in an Al Pacino cameo, even better. Wait, Jurassic Park, is that universal? Yes, it is. Here's how you do this. You combine Fast and Furious with Jurassic Park. I would see the hell out of that movie. You know what? I can't believe they haven't made that movie already. If anybody's listening to this who has any sort of pull, shop this around, and you better put my name on it because I swear to God we're getting litigation in, but... How great would that be if one of the movies, it's like, okay, they're already a heist crew. So I don't know. um, What's his name from Furious 7? Um, Kurt Russell's character calls him in. And it's like, we need something stolen. All right, what do you need? I'm trying to do like my best Vin Diesel here. It's like, we need you to steal a dinosaur <laughs> egg. Why? It's like, I don't know. Cause <laughs> just because it's like, all right, let's go family. And they all get in their cars and they go into like the old Jurassic Park and they got to like, I don't know. <laughs> just... <laughs> And what was the name of that company? The um, engine, is it? The one from Jurassic Park? Like the one that's always doing something screwed up? 
I'm not sure. I, I'm not, a, I can't I'm not remember. Huge Park fan. I can't remember, but basically that company, like they have something that needs to get stolen. So they call on the Fast and Furious crew to go steal it. Dominic Toretto's being chased down by like raptors and like they're as fast as his like muscle car and they're smashing the side of it. And it's like, oh man, that needs to be a crossover. You know what? I would watch that movie. You'd pay money to see that. And would, so would I. <laughs> yep. And the other thing that I'm trying to get started on Twitter is uh, I'm trying to get James Gunn to acknowledge me because I want Tango and Cash in space. Oh, that's right. Because Stallone and um, Russell are both in Guardians. Tell me that movie wouldn't make bank. I would see that. Better yet, rather than a new movie, have them repeat the same lines from the original movie, except they're aliens. Literally, alien Tango and Cash in space. Come on. I would see that movie. <laughs> Everybody would see that movie. But not for nothing, though, I think that would be a good dynamic for a future Guardians movie where for a good chunk of the movie, it's kind of if they do like a space buddy type, like, you know, caper, even if it's just like Rocket and Groot. I mean, you could do so much with that universe because of the fact that you're in fucking space. Who's going to say no? Yeah. Oh, man, I really want this Fast and Furious uh, Jurassic Park crossover now. I just need a scene where like Vin Diesel's riding a, a T-Rex. You know, I'm not, I'm not even a huge fan of either franchise, but I want to see that movie. <laughs> see, the thing is, I've come to realize, uh, me and my best friend, uh, who's been uh, friends with me since like, since we were in high school, so I know what you mean when you and Jake are like pretty much attached at the hip. But it's like we're we realized very recently that in a way we're bigger, almost as big fans of the Fast and Furious franchise as we are like the Avengers. Like really? we kind because it's it's basically like it's a it's a superhero story just no superpowers. It plays on all the same kind of beats. You know, you have resurrected characters, you have awkward timelines, and you have bizarre continuity and just the over. It's so in it's, play. It's the X Men franchise. Yeah, <laughs> there's just no costumes. There you I've go. Never I've never had it explained to me that way. Obviously, it's all kind of after the fact because the studio realized that they were making a mistake not having Vin Diesel in the series, so they had to find a reason for him to come back in. But the stories are told out of sync, and some could argue that the second and third movie, matter of fact, my best friend, um, Will, um, we do a show called Ignoring Movies, but... We haven't posted a lot because the fact that, well, he has a kid and I'm busy with this show, so we don't really get a lot of editing time in. Mm -hmm. But he put it the best way where it's like he almost considers the second and third Fast and Furious movie is almost kind of like not quite in Elseworlds, but like they can almost be considered alternate reality. But now that they have characters crossing in, you could say, well, now there's, you know, they just there's a little bit of a time jump there. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. And I just need a scene where, like I said, Vin Diesel's on the back of a T-Rex, and he's like, who needs American muscle when you have prehistoric <laughs> muscle? <laughs> Little too many uh, syllables for Vin Diesel to wrap his mouth around, but we can, we can work with that. Okay. Oh, man. I need to get involved with somebody who's good at script writing. I need to get this made. This needs to happen. Because if Universal wants to just... And this is where studios just need to say, fuck it. Because we know if they're going to keep making garbage, you might as well just make it entertaining garbage. Yeah. Because you will talk about a Fast and Furious Jurassic Park crossover. I would show up with the Blu-ray and a 12-pack to anybody's house with that movie, and I would defy anybody to not have a good time. I would just bring the 12-pack to the theater, and the theater would be like, you can't bring alcohol in here. It's like, I'm going to go see Fast and Furious Jurassic Park. Oh, <laughs> here you go. And they'll give you another one. They'll probably give you a bottle opener with your ticket. Right? And they'll, they'll make sure, though, but the only thing is, 
they have to set it up where like they already have either like cab drivers or like Uber on hand or somebody <laughs> just because to... <laughs> I would show up to that theater rip shit drunk and have like the greatest oh, time. Oh, that would be amazing. Damn it. I mean, if nothing else, this has to at least be a fan film. Right? Can we get someone to shoot that? I, I just want creator credit. We got to talk to the Bat and the Sun people. They can make that happen. Oh, the superhero beatdown yeah. guys. Yeah. They could make that happen. Someone needs to do this. This is too good an idea to let go. <laughs> <laughs> and at that point, Marvel and DC, everybody else would just be like, shit. I mean, hell, they're doing a 22, uh, 21 Jump Street Minute Black crossover. Oh, God, they are. Yes. <laughs> Stupid cells. Come on. But, I mean, look at it this way. It's perfect for that. Because have you seen the Jump Street movies? Yeah, they are. They're great. Yeah, but, like, you know, at the end of the second one where they were going through all, like, the stupid sequels? Mm-hmm. So if they did a crossover, it would be the perfect answer to that. Like, just go ahead and do it. Like, who's to say no? Because I'm going to be there opening night, and I know I am, so I can't even complain. <laughs> oh, that's going to be amazing. So where can the people find out your show? If people want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at the Drunken Dork. Uh, we are having a less and less presence on Facebook because, uh, for whatever reason... Facebook's always been a ghost town for us. We do have our own site, uh, Drunken Dark Podcast at uh, WordPress.com, though we're probably going to be doing some changes where we're going to be launching our own network pretty soon. Awesome. If you want to listen to us, we're on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio. Uh, if you are an Android user, uh, we are partnered up with my friends over at Couch Party where we have a free app that would give you everything. Pretty much anywhere you can find podcasts, you can find me. Awesome. And thanks for hanging out and geeking out. I know we were random as hell, but I'm so glad we got the chance to actually sit and chat. Oh, yeah. Finally. finally. Right? And I, I can't wait to have you on Drunken Door. Oh, definitely. Just name the time and place, and I will be there. And hopefully I won't embarrass you with the, another uh, Star Wars mug cocktail. Uh, well, I'm willing to bet that you'll probably get into a conversation with my, again, my buddy Jake, because he's a bartender. And when Episode 7 was out, he was serving... Qui-Gon and gins. Nice. No, Qui-Gon, Qui-Gon, gin and juice, I think it was. Oh, that's great. Oh, I can't wait to do this crossover. I can't. Yes. This is going to be awesome. Thank you again so much, Adrian. That'll do it for another episode of Adrian Has Issues, and we'll see you next issue. guys i'm adrian and i'm his issues wait what hey guys i'm adrian and i'm wait wait that's not right hey guys i'm adrian and i'm eileen tune in to the adrian has issues podcast each week we chat with some great people including me from time to time comic book creators comedians musicians and actors tax collectors zamboni drivers Point is, basically anyone willing to sit down for a geeky discussion or two on all things pop culture. Visit AdrianHasIssues.com where you can download and stream every episode. Especially the ones featuring yours truly. Visit Adrian Has Issues on Facebook and Twitter. And subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. Please leave a rating and review and tell me how amazing I am. Us. I mean us.
Ah, I'm kidding. You're way cooler than I am anyway. Oh, thanks, babe. Oh, and Adrian Has Issues is also a proud member of the Tangent Bound Podcast Network. Awesome. Nice save, Brodor. <sighs> Visit AdrianHasIssues.com. <laughs>